0: Now, Billy, uh, for a few weeks, has been pestering me to take him out uh, for a meal. He's a volunteer at Soul Food, and I was told to him yesterday, well, I asked him, I didn't tell him, I said, Billy, do you mind if I tell your story a little bit? And he said, no, he didn't mind at all, so I'm not just saying this, he has got permission, but he used to be a guest of uh, soul food but he's been uh, volunteering now uh, for well over a year and he's got a very key job in uh, soul food he has to take out the black rubbish bags and put them in the big white bin uh, out there. And he loves it. That's, that's the key uh, thing he does. He also sprays down the table. But he also has a very important job uh, for me every week. When I arrive, he will give me some chewing gum. He's got an endless supply of chewing gum. So if you need chewing gum, he is the one to go to. And also, he will bring me coffee constantly. I get offered coffee about 30 times during soul food. I wonder why I'm pumped by the, by the end of the evening. And I think that might be... Something uh, to do with it, and Billy and I have become pals. That's that's what he calls me. I'm his pal, and I I feel privileged because that's a very Edinburgh kind of expression, and I'm his pal. It feels like I've been accepted, and we've clicked, and we enjoy each other. And he wants to show me how much the friendship means to him. So. For a few weeks now, he's been going on at me, saying, I want to take you out for a meal. I was thinking, this is completely brilliant. So a couple of weeks ago, we arranged it, and we went out for what turned out to be one of the best uh, meals I ever had. We went to Leith Community Centre. I don't know if you've been there, but it's completely fantastic. Had a really great curry in there. but The food was great, but it was more sort of the whole occasion which worked out really well. Um, Because Billy didn't just offer me an invitation Um, for food, he offered me an invitation to share his life a little bit more uh, with him. So he took me to the places where he hung out, and every time we went into these different places, everyone was saying, hey Billy, it's great to see you, it's really good, and he sort of got this way about him, and everyone responds really positively to him. Everyone loved him, and uh, he was so uh, warmly welcomed. But during the, the time together, he told me a bit of his personal story. He told me a bit before, but he went a little bit deeper. And I must tell you, it's a hard story to, he- to hear. It's not my place to tell you that story uh, today, but I can tell you he had a troubled uh, childhood, and this led to him getting into a lot of trouble in his teenage years and early 20s, and he ended up spending a bit of time in prison. But over the years, he's managed to sort his life out a bit. Now, he's sorted his life out, but it must be said Billy does still worry a bit. He still does get very anxious about things and certainly things can be very tough for him. Sometimes people take advantage of him and he hasn't got a lot to deal with. But as we were chatting, Billy said something rich, uh, really impacts on me. He just said, despite it all, he said, Jesus helps me. And then he went on and he says, I've got Jesus in my life. And he said to me even more, he said, I've got Jesus in my heart. And you know something you can really tell when you look at Billy and you follow him around a bit, you can tell because generosity and kindness uh, are in Billy. And I think it all reveals that he's got Jesus hidden away in his heart. It's like he's got a secret kingdom deep inside of him. And it's a secret which is important So important to him that he doesn't let those other more negative narratives dominate his life. He's discovered something much more important deep within himself. Now he doesn't talk about it much because Billy hasn't got the words to describe it. But you can see it in him. You can see the impact of Jesus in him. And it is tangible. Dallas Willard calls this an inner transformation a journey where you're open to God and you don't close him down, a journey where what's going on inside becomes visible. Somebody has said your external response will indicate your inward spiritual condition. And I think our parable today points to that. Jesus is talking about inner transformation or spiritual transformation. He's getting to the heart of Of what it's about. Maybe this is the heart of what Jesus is about. Now, this parable of the sower should have been our first parable. If you've come to P's and G's regularly, you'll know that we've been going through uh, the parables in the last 10 weeks or so. But if you remember back to that first Sunday when we were due to start the parables, it was in the midst of the refugee crisis, and we just said, no we're not going to do the parables this Sunday, we are going to think about the refugee crisis and quite right too, if you ask me. So we switch things around. So we got this parable uh, today and uh, instead of beginning with it, we're ending with it and I think that's a really good thing because this parable has been called the parable of parables. And if it's the parable of parables, like any top ten countdown, it should come last, because it is number one. Now, some people have said that uh, Jesus, they'll describe Jesus, and they'll say he's the master storyteller. But I hope over the last ten weeks, you've discovered that Jesus did something much deeper in parables than tell stories. His parables were designed to captivate interest. But it was more than just interest. Jesus didn't want people to say, Oh, Jesus, that's very interesting. Thank you for that lovely story. It wasn't just about that. What he wanted to do was he wanted to produce a response in people. Um, I just wonder, maybe as we finish off this series, God might have some what I would call robust internal work to do on our hearts And the great thing I think about this parable of the sower is I think it's being designed for such things to happen. So I invite you to let this parable of parables speak to you deeply this morning. Give permission for Jesus to unwind this story in your heart this morning. If you like, give permission for that internal transformation. Ask the Holy Spirit to whisper into your heart today. Now this is a parable about God's kingdom. In this parable we're going to see um, how God operates. Jesus uses this parable of the sower as a way of releasing the secrets of God. He uses it in a way to help people get things in the right order in their life. He is releasing people from the teaching and influence Maybe of the religious leaders of his day, maybe from that infamous group called Pharisees, Pharisees, who Jesus um, thought knew little about the kingdom of God. These people seem to be much more interested in the process of it all and were very proud about their spiritual accomplishments. These people, the Pharisees and these religious leaders, seem to be more about controlling things rather than releasing things, about forcing people onto an agenda about God that Jesus felt was defective. So Jesus was using the parable we've got today to be provocative. And he was wanting people to think about questions, this question, are you for Jesus or are you against Jesus? And this was Jesus ultimately saying, there has to be a decision, there is a decision and you have to make it. And the way he did this was by telling parables, stories to the heart and um, this parable goes very deep as it asks us what position ultimately do we put God in our lives and the parables as we've learned over the last few weeks are these stories for the heart parables don't bring with them immense knowledge or understanding they certainly don't bring with them a set of beliefs but they get us in our hearts to respond. It would seem that the heart is everything. So I was shocked this week. I, I went on a most incredible, life-changing and life-giving course. It was one of the most impressive weeks I've had the privilege of spending. And i during this course, there was it was life-changing moment after life-changing moment. In fact, it it was my, what was going on in my heart. I don't know how I'm still alive. It was like oh, going on. And it was really, really significant to me. But one of the most important moments for me in, in the course was a diagram was called, put up called DILT's Logical Levels. Now, I'm not, I, I can't go for it because I'm not clever enough. But um, it, was, uh, it, was, it jarred me as it was put up. Because, um, you see, I've always felt that the most important thing for any Christian, the most important thing for any church is what they believe in. I mean, we believe in Jesus, don't we? That's what we're about, belief and everything like that. And I thought my job uh, was um, about sort of getting people to believe in Jesus. I must admit, I probably still think a little bit about that, that that I want people to believe in Jesus. And uh, I thought that all we have to do, if you're a rector, is just help people believe. And yes, that is that is what we do. But then I discovered it's so much more than just believing life because belief in this, in this order of uh, uh, things only comes in at number three in DILT's uh, logical levels because there's two things above that in what makes a human human. The first thing is, what is our purpose? And the second thing is, our identity. And then things seem to flow from that, so beliefs and everything else seem to flow from that. And it got me thinking, it made me think, actually, yeah, beliefs are things we, we hold in our heads. But purpose and identity lies much deeper within. It's about who we really are and everything else, sort of, when everything else is stripped away, it's our purpose and our identity which become, sort of, who we actually are. And in that moment, it felt so God was speaking to me saying, Richard, you have got to go much deeper than beliefs. And it felt as though if the church is going to mean anything at all, it has to go far deeper than belief and reach into people's hearts. And if it's going to do that, it's got to talk about purpose and who people really are as individuals, because out of that will come Belief. And then I read this parable we got this morning, and I think this is exactly what Jesus is doing. He's taking people from just thinking about life through their heads and believing uh, through their heads to beyond even their emotions, into their hearts, to the place where the real person exists. He's demanding a much deeper response than just an agreement in what is right or wrong. And the Pharisees and religious leaders seem to be operating at beliefs levels. And Jesus was saying, no, it's more than that. He was saying about something very deep taking root in our lives. He was after the reality of hearts rather than the veneer of belief. And so Jesus tells this story about a farmer who's sowing seeds very generously. I like this farmer. It's a farmer um, who is uh, uh, generous and kind. The crowd would have listened to it and immediately they would have heard about the farmer. They thought, ah, Jesus is talking about God. But the farmer is spreading seed here, there and everywhere. This generous farmer. He's throwing it all over the place. It's as if there's completely no strategy. It seems that the farmer just scatters seed. It's flung everywhere. It's a snowstorm of seeds. Liberally and generously this farmer scatters the seed. So Jesus speaks of some seed falling on the path. And then the birds, or if you live in Edinburgh, it would be the seagulls, come along and eat up the seed, so no uh, seed, so no crop is produced. Then he talks of seed falling on the rocky ground, um, and that seed quickly grows up and then quickly dies because there's no place for roots and everything, and it leads to a failed crop. And then he talks about other seed falling amongst thorns, and it never grows up uh, properly uh, because the other plants start to choke it and it dies, and there's no crop. And then finally, eventually, some seed falls onto some good soil, and a good quality crop is produced as a result. So the crowd would have understood this as, yeah, Jesus is talking about something like God is throwing some seed, and, um, and uh, they would have understood that uh, God is throwing seed everywhere, but they would have wondered, well, w- what on earth does the seed mean? They'd been thinking, what is the seed? And then they might have been thinking, well, what is the soil? So I understand God is doing this, but I don't quite get it. So it's quite perplexing. It is a parable. So it is perplexing. What does it mean? Um, and that's all the crowd got. They didn't get the second part of our reading today. They just got the story of the farmer. And it was interesting. If you remember back, and this is for old age football fans here, It's a bit like, do you remember when Eric Cantona uh, started talking about sardines, seagulls and trawlers? Um, You knew he met something when he was speaking about all that stuff, but it wasn't sparkly clear. And um, I think that's what Jesus is doing here. He's told something, but it's not sparkly clear. It's not uh, easy to understand. And then he goes and ends the parable by saying, whoever has ears, let them hear. But what must we hear? You know, farmer, seeds, what what am I supposed to be here? I'm sort of perplexed at this moment about what this means. But the thing about Jesus is, he demands our attention. So he's saying to the crowd, you need to work this out. He demands our working it out. Even when it's not clear, there is an invitation to think about it, to engage Jesus is not about just accepting things blindly, but he wants us to have active, inquiring faith. For him, belief is not passive, but it's about active engagement within each one of us is the ability to engage deeply if we choose. We could breeze through life and never really properly engage. We could even just rely on others uh, and uh, just uh, not properly engage, but think about what these other people say here. But that's not what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, you've got ears, you've got intelligence, you've got a heart, you've got a will, use it work it out and take responsibility for it. Tim Keller says, Jesus is saying, make sure you've heard me. And then again, Jesus says, have you really heard? So an important question we can ask is, have we really heard Jesus in our lives? Have we engaged deeply with his voice? Have we been working out what he's trying to say? The great thing for me is, in this, it would seem that the disciples had been thinking the same thing as I was. What on earth does this mean? And they must have been badgering them, Jesus, uh, to say, Jesus, what does that parable about the, 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 sower, the farmer saying the seed means? Because we, we haven't got a clue. So thankfully, we get a private moment of Jesus with uh, the disciples, which forms the second part of our reading, which helps us to understand more deeply this morning about what's going on. So Jesus explains in verse 18 onwards, we can see for Jesus this parable is all about the kingdom of God. It's about the message of the kingdom. It's like the greatest secret Jesus is uh, talking about, that secret of God contained in the seed, the secret of love, the secret of the good news of Jesus, the secret of forgiveness, the secret of acceptance, of new life and new hope, the secret of a relationship with God, or as Billy would put it, the secret of Jesus in my heart. That's the seed, and God is sowing it. As I said, God is sowing it here, there, and everywhere. He's sowing it right now, he's sowing out this uh, seed. And they're powerful and wonderful seeds which go to the heart of being human. And they are about our purpose and identity, an identity which has a relationship with the most gracious, accepting, loving, generous God, empowering and releasing life within the core of what it means to be human. That is the seed. So what's the soil then? We got the seed, what's the soil? Well, ultimately, it's our lives, or you could say it's our hearts, it's people's hearts, it's a personal message. I think as you look at the the, the writing, Jesus seems to speak in a fairly personal way, although he would be speaking to community, but it's like he's saying, what are you going to do about the kingdom? How is your heart engaging with the kingdom? So he challenges, he provokes, he engages, and he goes for a response. The quest from Jesus is think about how you're engaging with the kingdom with this seed. Tim Keller again is helpful here because he go, he tells us that Jesus is warning us in three ways. So warning number one is beware of listening with a hard heart. Beware of listening with a hard heart. This is all about the seed which is being. Um, sown on the path on the hard ground, and that seed being snatched away. And in uh, the passage we see that Jesus blames the snatching on the evil one. The seed just gets taken from us, and that 's because it 's so precious and so important, the evil one can sometimes come and stop us focusing on us, take it away from us. Tim Keller suggests, when we 're listening with a hard heart, we make the message of Jesus intellectual only. We make it just a head exercise it comes up here it's theoretical it's about beliefs only you could say it's as if our head blocks our heart from engaging and maybe Jesus was pointing at this at the Pharisees who thought they'd worked out the message and they've channeled God into this set of beliefs and this rules and commandments and regulations they just said if we want to follow God this is what we're doing. And Jesus was probably saying the seed is far greater than that sort of way of looking at the world. Jesus is saying here the kingdom is much bigger than that. The seed of the kingdom is about going much more deeply than just into your head. It's about allowing the seed deep into your heart. When it's just your head, it's cold and intellectual. And a sign, though, that it's in your heart is this kingdom should fill us this relationship with God should be something about joy as well, something which shows the internal transformation, which uh, can be expressed by knowing this secret of the kingdom. So something emotional comes out of you as well. I heard a story this week about an African bishop, and he was doing really good bishop stuff. He was a pretty good bishop. He could lead services well, and he ran meetings really well. You can, um, you can imagine. He was a solid, solid bishop. But after visiting, I think it was a school, and he saw children express their faith, he, he went home and he went straight upstairs to the bathroom and he realised that he'd just been living out being a bishop, living out doing all the church stuff. And he realised that actually he wasn't a Christian and it, and it panicked him, it terrified him. So there and then he stopped And he gave his life to God. And I think it caused him to collapse. And his wife came up and she picked him up. And um, this bishop then had that rather perplexing job to go around and say, actually, I'm now a Christian. And that must be quite a humbling experience to do if you're actually heading up uh, the church as well. Has our faith just become lodged in our heads and then dislodged from our humanity and our emotions? Are we just worried about living it up there and we've forgotten the real joy and the real purpose of what it means uh, to follow Jesus? The next warning is, beware you don't listen with a shallow heart. So this is verse 20 about the seed being sown on rocky ground. It's about, um, there's a strong and good conversion Happening, But then it goes wrong. So when bad stuff happens, the stuff of life, persecution, difficulties, when people pick on you for being a Christian or there's just it's just life is complicated and you think I can't be bothered anymore and suffering comes or illness comes and you just give up on it. A few years ago, I had—I can remember—a real day of contrasts. We had an amazing guy who came from Southeast Asia, come and spend the day with us. I think he might have spent the night with us, but I can't remember that bit. But he came and spent the day with us, and he—he um, he was a guy who lived in these countries where to be a Christian was dangerous. And one of his roles was going around encouraging these local secret congregations, because got, anyone got wind that these congregations were meeting, those congregations would be in a lot of trouble, and people's personal lives would be in danger. But his job was to go around encouraging these congregations. I can remember him talking to me about having to go through uh, very dangerous forests and everything, travel the real back roads to get into these places, not to draw so not to draw attention to himself, uh, so he could uh, um, talk. Talk about his faith and encourage the Christians there. I can remember him telling me the story, it's like a Robin Hood style adventure where he had to hide in a river and just have a sort of reed going out so he could stay alive as people were chasing. After him, I can remember him telling me about having to how he had these shoes with secret sort of compartment in, so he could fit SD cards in, uh, which had sort of Christian literature, so he could take them those SD cards to these places, so people could uh, print it out. He lived this life, and the only reason he could live this life was that he had Jesus so deeply in his heart that anything else didn't matter to him at all. The key thing. Was what was going on in here, and that instructed everything else. And the same day, I had to go and visit somebody who'd become a Christian uh, fairly recently, and I thought they were pretty legit. I thought they were going for it. But uh, they told me that there and then they'd given up on their faith. And, th- th- you know, the reason was their father, who was in his 90s, was poorly and nearing the end of his life, and they couldn't believe in a Jesus who wasn't going to look after him and it became it was you know as soon as this thing happened to them they gave up on him it's as if the seed didn't take root a little trouble came their way which is very sad i'm not i'm not belittling it but it stopped them following uh, jesus see simon the guy who was in southeast asia saw jesus as his savior jesus was his savior he was everything the man who gave up saw Jesus as somebody who was a blesser. And as soon as that blessing seemed to end, uh, so his face, faith vanished. There was no point in continuing as faith didn't work. So are we people, this is a question for us, are we people who are following a saviour or a blesser? This is a really contemporary question for those of us in, a West, in the West. Are we following a saviour or are we following a God who is a blesser. And let me tell you, it's a very different way of viewing a God. People who, who you can see it in their prays, prayers, so people who follow a saviour say prayers like, Lord, life is hard, but I want you to be God in my life, and I want to follow you through how life is as, it's, as it is as a, a moment. People who follow a, a blesser say prayers like, Lord, can you give me this or that, or can you solve this or that problem in my life? They're not bad prayers, it's just they're not where it really is at. People who follow a saviour know that it's all about God. People who follow a blesser think it's all about them and what God can do for them. The next warning is, beware you don't listen with a shallow heart. This is the seed that fell into the weeds and was choked And it's about people who are convinced by uh, that seed, by the word. But they let other things get in their way and they become unfruitful. These are the kind of people who say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, but it would be really hard to tell if you stood them up. You can't really see uh, that they're Christians by looking at their life. Something's held back and that's something which they hold back could turn out to be more important than their relationship with God. It could be something like, we all know what the list could be, like career or ambition or our relationships, or it could be our anxieties for the future, not quite knowing how it's going to work out, or anxiety, excessive worrying about uh, what's happening now. It could be that you're just a little bit miserable or possessions have taken and materialism have taken over, over your life. In other words, People say they're Christians, but you can't tell. It would seem that these other things are more important to the heart. And this is a critical one too. With the other two soils, it may be clearer, but with this soil, I think it might affect many of us if we just think about it. Just who have we aligned ourselves to? Is it really God who inspires us, or do we secretly let something else stand in his place? That's that wonderful hymn which we we sang at our nine o'clock service, when I survey the wondrous cross. And it ends with these words. Have we forgotten these words? Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Finally, Jesus talks about the seed that's planted in the good soil. This really is where it's at. This is the seed that's taken hold of the heart and that heart then is set free. Instead of sort of the ego taking charge, a relationship with God becomes the defining characteristic and a life lived out for God is the evidence. And the fact is you can tell if the seed is in the good soil. And the way you can tell is these people's lives bear fruit Now, it's not the fruit of success. Oh, I've won 500 people for the Lord this morning and and all this type of stuff. That's not the fruit. It's not about, oh, I had an amazing prayer time. It lasted 45 minutes last night. That's not the fruit of uh, success. The gospel is far more subtle than this. The fruit is that will just profoundly be evident in your life. Paul describes the fruit in Galatians chapter 5. We know it, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's what I saw in Billy when he took me out for my lunch. In his complicated life, he's managed to get to a place where he bears fruit. And you can see it And just in the way he conducts his friendships, in the way he is with people and in his kindness. He might not see it. He might think, well, I'm, I'm not good at this. But you can see it going on. Certainly that, not that his life is sorted altogether. It's just that he's let God's seed take root in his life. And you can tell. It's rather splendid. In a rather splendid, Billy way, he points to a reality beyond himself and to the kingdom of God. Now, if you're like me, You'll be sitting here this morning and thinking about the state of hearts and recognising maybe our hearts are not the best soil. We're feeling guilty. We're not the good soil. There's some thorns to deal with. There's definitely that in my heart. There's some rocks in there as well, some jolly big rons. And And certainly I know my heart can be hard. We can notice a bit of it all in ourselves. And if we're sitting there thinking that, if we're sitting there thinking, hooray, I'm the good soil, you, you need to work on that as well, that's not right. But, but, but if you're sitting there thinking, crikey, my heart isn't in order, I just want to say that's completely brilliant. How good is that? That's good. You're recognising something important, something has been illuminated in you. You know what you're dealing with. It's not a secret what the issue is it's become clearer deep down in our hearts we know know that things are not what they should be we probably could be we might be in the wrong dream we might have the wrong worry dominating us the wrong thought process which we go through perhaps we're chasing after God in a rather selfish way maybe we're thinking actually yeah it has become more about me than about God do you know what we need to do now if that's us We need to just do a very simple thing we need to take responsibility for it we need to say yeah that is where I'm at that is where I'm at one of the things I learned on this amazing course this week is actually that's one of the key secrets to life that we just take responsibility for myself nobody else is going to do it for you just you so when things need to change as we might have discovered in our hearts this morning then it's up to us to do it if you recognize you're not where you need to be in your heart the call of this passage and the call of this morning simply is do something about it make those changes move in the direction you need to do go and deal with it you see when we take responsibility we turn into somebody like the prodigal son perhaps the greatest story jesus ever told who recognized at one point in his life how he had completely failed and chased after the wrong dream and gone in the wrong direction and when he recognized that he made a decision and he took responsibility and he decided to go home it was a scary journey home there's the thoughts of he might look foolish there was a risk that he might be rejected however He moved back towards his father and what he got was a welcome, he got an embrace and he discovered forgiveness, generosity and grace. So let this parable of parables speak deeply to you this morning and use it as a gauge. Give the seed a chance to grow in your hearts and give priority to the kingdom. When you're doing that... You've discovered the secret to life.